everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing The Son of Neptune. I. It feels like we've been reading this book forever. It, it really does. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I've fallen back down that most wretched of rabbit holes that a person can possibly fall down. Uh-huh. Uh, returning to the days of uh, spending hours on my fucking iPod Touch in 2012 as it overheated from having too many balloons on the screen. Oh my god. Uh, I'm playing Balloons Tower Defense. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> For me that game when i like got my kindle or whatever like when i got a kindle for a little while uh that game for me was fruit ninja god fruit ninja also extremely good what what drove you into this hole what drove me to the hole was just like i saw it on sale on steam for like two pounds a few weeks ago and i was just like oh i remember enjoying this game when i was a child i'll just buy the sequel i'm sure it'll be basically the same and it is uh-huh. basically the same, except for all the fucking micropayments. Oh, Christ. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I guess onto better thi- things? Mm. Um, <laughs> onto summaries. I mean, Son of Neptune at least doesn't charge me micropayments. Maybe it should. <laughs> I would not pay them. <laughs> uh, alright. Chapter 49, Percy. Arion carts the gang and their supply of Imperial gold all the way back to Camp Jupiter in a record-breaking four hours, during which Percy's memory completely returns and he recaps the stakes of the rest of the series for us. The camps need to work together, stop the giants from destroying the original seat of the gods, all that good stuff. When they arrive back at camp, it's a nightmare. The battle isn't over, but Camp Jupiter are clearly on the back foot. With Arion exhausted, the kids are distraught as they have no way to quickly redistribute the Imperial gold weaponry until Percy remembers who he sent back to camp ahead of them. He whistles and out of the darkness emerge Tyson, Ella, and Mrs. O'Leary. We get some hints that Ella might have the hots for Tyson, and Tyson explains that, unfortunately, this is all the backup Percy can count on. The Argo 2 is en route, but it won't arrive for another day or two. Thankfully, Percy is pretty sure he can work with this. He unhooks the chariot from Arion, attaches it to Mrs. O'Leary, and leads his little ragtag team into battle. Chapter 50. Percy. Percy goes to reinforce his friends in the 5th cohort, handing out Imperial Gold weaponry while Tyson ices Margasket once again. The battle starts turning in the campers' favour, especially once Percy herds Polybity's army into a tight enough space to unleash the Imperial Eagle's lightning blast power and vaporise most of them. Percy advances to take the giant one-on-one, but at this point a horn sounds and the Amazons appear on the edge of the battlefield. Polybates is initially overjoyed that his reinforcements are here, but becomes enraged when he realises that he is leading them, and they're on the side of Camp Jupiter. With his army collapsing, Percy and Polybates prepare to duel. The giant reveals his anti-Poseidon ultimate. He can... turn water into poison. Percy leads Polybates on a merry chase towards New Rome until he finally gets to the city limits, and Terminus, the boundary god. After luring Polybates into crossing into the city with his weapons, something which, as we saw earlier, Terminus doesn't allow, Terminus attacks the giant, and he and Percy work together to bring Polybates down and finally kill him, god and demigod working together. With the giant defeated, the rest of his army collapses, and Percy finds himself raised on the kids' shields, with chants of Praetor, Praetor. 
Chapter 51. Percy. The Feast of Fortuna begins, and everyone is celebrating winning the battle together. Amazons, campers, and Larrys alike. Percy rebuffs the advances of a few Amazon girls before he loses probatio tags and Octavian brands the Legion tattoo onto his arm. Rainer then hands him the trappings of office for Co-Preto, which he reluctantly accepts. After the party, Frank, Percy, Frank, and Hazel all head off to walk through the quieter city, away from all the noise. Terminus and Percy seem to be bros now, and Iris gives the gang a cool rainbow as a reward for doing so well. Finally, Percy heads off to bed, leaving Frank and Hazel alone to do their shit. I've written goes to bed twice. <laughs> Fuck. In the dream bubbles, Percy meets up with Juno, who explains her plan while he repeatedly tries and fails to drown her for stealing eight months of his life. It was more convenient for her to keep him on ice for that time than having to protect him from Gaia's forces, and it meant she knew exactly where to pull him from to drop him into Camp Jupiter with the perfect timing to make them trust him. She boasts about how cool her plan is and how, despite Percy being a bit of a loose cannon, she knows she can leverage his loyalty to his friends to keep him on a tight leash. She reiterates the plot of the next book will be the two teams sailing to Italy and Greece, Doors of Death, etc., and warns Percy that Annabeth will cause trouble because of her grudge against the goddess, then fucks off. Chapter 52. Percy. Percy, Hazel, and Frank head to a Senate meeting while Frank shows them a gift he got from Mars, a copy of The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Tyson intercepts them and says that Ella received a message the night before, a scroll from Camp Half-Blood which, when opened, reveals a video message from Leo, informing them that the Argo 2 will be arriving that day and to please not shoot them down. Hazel and Percy freak the fuck out when they see Leo because he looks disturbingly familiar. In fact, he looks almost exactly like that photograph of Hazel's old friend Sammy. Sammy Valdez. Percy and Octavian argue in the Senate meeting about whether or not to shoot down the ship, and Percy eventually stakes his life on the fact that the crew will be friendly. This convinces everyone, and Percy takes Frank and Hazel to go and meet, as he puts it, his other family. The end. So what did you think of this heartwarming tale, Jacqueline? Um, it ended, <laughs> and it is going to continue next time. Oh, I want to, I want to contextualize something. Yeah. I don't think that in terms of its formal construction, this is as bad as a Kane Chronicles book. That's but I came away fair. from this feeling as if I've just read a Kane Chronicles book. No, I kind of feel <laughs> similarly, which is really weird. In some ways, I hold less affection for it than I did after, like, at least one of the Kane Chronicles books. <laughs> like, I don't think it was a worse book, but my lord, did it kind of stink. Did it kind of just whiff it in the back half? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> like, okay, full full confession to everyone. I think I said this, like, up near the beginning of our coverage of this book, and I, I rediscovered a blog post from literally when I was reading this book, like, on the bonus show the other week. I loved this book when I read it the first time, when I was, like, 14 or whatever, and... I just, I'm rereading it now. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> oh, no. There's good bits, but this ending, mm-hmm. we got to talk about it. I I know we said last week that the, the chapters felt like they were kind of rushed. Uh-huh. Uh, the battle scene here feels like a draft. It does. It's, it's okay. Um, big battles 
let's let's compare this to a few different things. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the most comparable thing would probably be the battle at the end of Battle of the Labyrinth. Yeah, that was another like camp defense battle, and that was kind of a mess. Um, mm-hmm. Like we were kind of going like line by line, just like okay, and this character's doing this, and this character's doing this, and this character's doing this. This isn't even really that. It's painting in such broad strokes. Way too broad. Way way too broad because. It doesn't feel like there are... It doesn't feel like we're getting what should be happening. There's a giant attacking this camp. <laughs> and it, I just don't feel the devastation. Like, there's... This is kind of the the Frank's thing, Frank thing again. There's no stakes, it feels like. It's just, it happens as a big set piece, and then it's over, and it nothing, like, came of it, really. There's nothing to really, like... There's no detail to kind of ground us in the scene. Like, I again, I I harp on this, I feel like, every fucking week. But Rick's writing really shines when he, like, remembers to put in, like, good, vivid sensory detail. And that's something that is just sorely lacking in, in this battle. From the battle and from the chapters surrounding it. Because there yeah. are key moments that I think Rick needed to, like, fucking lavish in description. And he just did not. And it really makes me feel what you said before about just, like, thinking this was probably a rush job. Uh, is there... Do we want to get into specifics? Difficult as that is with such broad strokes. I mean, we should for sure. Like, the... Uh, what I'll say first of all, just to say a nice thing, I think the first like op- the opening line of these four chapters was pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's four hours. That's how long it took the fastest horse on the planet to get from Alaska to San Francisco Bay, heading straight over the water down the northwest coast. That's also how long it took for Percy's memory to return completely. Pretty good start. Is this a uh, an improvement on who Trey's Navarre? <laughs> I don't know. It's great. Who Trace Navari is growing on me a little bit, to be honest. Um, I I like how just like melancholy that kind of is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I enjoy that. It's like it it has a distinct mood of like oh, we're on the fastest horse in the world, and we still had to sit there for four hours to get to the battle. Like, yeah, that that's effective, I think. Um, and Percy going through his memories is. A lot, I think because it was sort of drip-fed back to us, it's not, like, the the big return doesn't feel like a big, um, it's not a big emotional moment necessarily, but there is one key check-in that we were wondering about. Percy does still consider Grover his best friend. Uh, this is baffling to me. (laughs) Like, I, I, surely it would be Annabeth at this point. I, I guess I maybe this is operating on like a like your girlfriend can't be your best friend type of idea. I even then like I don't know Nico. I feel like he was hanging out with Nico more than he was Grover by the end of that series. Yeah, uh, maybe there was a lot of off-screen Percy Grover content. Uh, um, I guess so. I another thing, another thing that from these memories that I was actually interesting to me was the idea of Annabeth and Percy just like sitting around spitballing ideas about what the great prophecy will be and like basically what the quest will be like. And Percy remembers like, Oh yeah, Annabeth just like brought up that it could be the giants. And like, that's the first time he thought about it. 
And I think that's that's actually pretty cool. Like it makes sense. It's the kind of thing that I would really like to see if these books could ever like slow things down and chill out and not have a seven day timer on everything. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. A seven day timer on the quest, seven day timer on the publishing of this book, apparently. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but honestly, this 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 first chapter might be the highlight of it all for me. <laughs> like Yeah, and it's like what, ten pages long? <laughs> If that, like, Percy summons Mrs. O'Leary, and he just, like, does, like, a good old New York cab whistle, and that's that's fun to me, and I, like... Big I like, dog reunion. Yes, and I like Tyson coming back and, like, getting to meet all the new friends, and Ella having a crush on Tyson is cute. Yeah. This is all good to me. This this chapter is good to me. This this Yeah, this chapter's all right, and then it kind of hits the fan. Yeah. So should we should we talk the battle, I guess? Let's let's get into the battle. Damn. Percy really, really sees the Camp Jupiter kids as his family after having spent three days with them, during which most of them treated him like shit. This is my thing. Like well, <laughs> No, I, I after on on a reread, what I noticed is that Percy wasn't handing out Imperial Gold weapons to like everyone at Camp Jupiter. He was only handing them out to the fifth cohort. Uh, if only Percy had been doing this to start a revolution. <laughs> Would have been pretty cool, actually. <laughs> I I understand his connection to them a bit more than, like, to the whole camp. I, I don't know that it feels earned, though. Yeah, I, I get the... Because the, they're the underdogs, and Percy's always been, like, an underdog. But I just... It, he doesn't know any of their names apart from... Um, What's-his-face, the leader? The drunk one? Dakota and Gwen, I think. yeah. Gwen's not a member of the fifth cohort anymore. She mustered out because she died. Oh, right, yeah. So it's just just Dakota. Yeah. I mean, we know that Percy, one of his defining character traits that kind of gets reiterated over the course of these chapters is that he is fiercely loyal. Um, mm-hmm. But a little bit more. And it's weird because we spent a pretty long time at camp, like all things considered. Yeah, what did you say? Like sixteen chapters? Yeah, I think something like that. Week. Yeah, and it still feels like we didn't get enough fifth cohort to actually justify yeah. this. What's weird is that like Percy didn't need to like only spend a few days at camp because what if Gaia had like dropped him in like a month before she needed him to do anything? Juno, and you those mean? Juno, sorry, fucking. I'm getting them confused for reasons we'll get into later, but <laughs> Juno dropping him in like a month earlier and then those 16 chapters, I think we've even like made this complaint or this re- editing re- um, suggestion before, is like just to have a couple of weeks fast forward of Percy at Camp Jupiter so we at least like have, have an idea of where this connection came from. I yeah I completely agree. I want him in there shoveling the stables. I want him just like <laughs> getting pushed around by Octavian and whatever. That's what I really needed to make this feel complete. I think. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't because I don't think there's any justification for like the idea that he would not like the idea that he would not be able to spend a month there. Like he he could have. Why not? You know. Yeah, I, Gaia um, justifies it. No, fucking Juno justifies it later <laughs> on um, by saying that, you know, it would have involved defending Percy from Gaia's agents, but 
if Percy was in Camp Jupiter, he probably would have been alright. Yeah, I mean, they can handle a giant attack pretty well, so... Yeah, exactly. Like, there's certain things here. I think the part of this that does come off alright is, like... Actually, no, it's really silly. Percy, like, he brings the eagle standard, and it's kind of like bringing back the Golden Fleece and Sea of Monsters, more Sea of Monsters comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, Truly the Sea of Monsters of this series. It is, it is. I, <laughs> God, the the Lost Hero is looking like a fucking five-star book compared to this, I have to say. <laughs> and the, lo- the Lost Hero is the only reason that I've not completely lost faith in this series. Yeah, yeah, I... I will get to it, but I had such a mm-hmm. like glimmer of hope. Like as soon as I heard, like as soon as I was, as I was reading, like uh, Leo and Piper lines again, I was just like, yes, yeah. <laughs> Percy, like he brings the eagle standard back and does like an AOE spell with it. <laughs> he like he he shouts twelfth legion fulminata, and that's like those are the activation words to just like strike all the enemies with lightning and like insta kill them. It feels so weird to see Percy using lightning and yeah. that not being like something that's like remarked on or used to symbolize something. Because Percy has such a fractious relationship with Zeus slash Jupiter. Yes, yes, that's really true. Like, it doesn't get commented on at all. He just does it and there's no like, and Percy knew that he would be like, that Jupiter wouldn't make him owe him one or whatever which is like the mm-hmm. usual kind of thing you might expect from this yeah the fact that it goes unremarked upon just makes it kind of feel like okay this is a next this is just a step in uh, getting this book ended or even just like percy like hoists it and then realize nope fuck can't use the lightning it'll probably kill me and then hands it off to dakota which he does a page later anyway true yeah and, which Daco- solves dakota's drinking problem i guess oh god <laughs> hey, sweet, just like unfortunate things. Uh, here's a here's a couple of sentences. Percy hoped Chiron would forgive him, but these centaurs weren't like the party ponies he'd met before. They were some other breed. They had to be defeated. I fucking wrote those down word for word as well. <laughs> what the fuck, Rick? What are you doing? <laughs> this is horrible. They they're they're of an evil breed. Yeah, it's not that they're just, like, the same centaurs, but they have different ideas and have maybe fallen in with a bad crowd. They're, they're the evil race. Their blood is bad, so they need to die. They ha- they were some other breed. They had to be defeated. That's sh- That fucking says it all, doesn't it? As Percy is running around in his fucking Roman cosplay. God! It's, it, it's a bad look. It's really bad. What the fuck do the party ponies mean to Percy, though? Like, <laughs> oh, God. If Percy I... was massacring the party ponies, I would prefer that, to be honest. <laughs> Honestly. I think you had a theory early on, that, like, oh, what if these are the party ponies or something? That would have been fun. <laughs> God, I, I don't it... remember that, but that would have been fun. Uh, I Yeah, this battle just... There's not like rain is flying around on a Pegasus. Okay, like uh, the Amazon's <laughs> coming. Okay, the the I think the only standout part of it for me personally is the ending, and I'm still kind of mixed on it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The the Percy versus Polybides one on one fight. What do you think about it? I I I am once again gonna start rewriting Son of Neptune for Rick Riordan. Okay. 
which is that um, I think that Polybity's anti-Poseidon power is completely lame. Yeah. It's just, it turns water into poison, I guess. But Percy can still manipulate it, so it's not a threat to him. So here, here is my suggestion. Polybates can turn it into poison that Percy can't influence or manipulate, but Polybates can. But when Percy was in Alaska, the land beyond the gods, his water powers didn't work. So he had to learn to get by without them. And that means that when we come back around to this fight, he can beat Polybates without using his powers. And like we get introduced to the idea that Polybates has this ability earlier. Mm-hmm. Because we fucking see him earlier next to the coast. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, like, turn it into poison to, like, really fuck things up for all the humans or anything. Uh. I, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a lame ability. I, the, the, the idea of it that interested me was the part of, like, oh, imagine what it would do with your blood if I, like, grabbed you and did that to you. That's kind of threatening. That's a cool threat. But the only way that threat works is if Polybides is, like, a meaningful foe or, um, or, well, or if Polybides, like, maybe gets to be, like, a recurring foe, like, say, like, you know, it's, like, if he's, like, something like, let's say, the anti-Poseidon, uh, <laughs> that might be something that you'd want to keep around for at least a couple books to give Percy as, like, a, uh, uh, you know, like, a enemy, uh, not a foil so who is saying stuff to him, like, I am going to drag you to the bottom of the ocean, and fucking bring you to the brink of death every day and then heal you and then do it again the next day. Someone with that kind of enmity towards him. No, that's fucking good. Polybides has a good energy. Um, mm-hmm. I all, I wish he'd stuck around more. I do kind of like how he goes out. Like, I like the um, Percy-Terminus combo. I think that's something that is, like, unexpected and kind of clever. That is kind of clever. I also like the... Um... Like, Percy's plan is to, like, do, like, an honorable, glorious one-on-one duel, uh, then run away and use a trick to win. Yes. Just because that is, like, you know, it emphasizes that he is a Greek hero, not a Roman hero, because Greek heroes are often, like, defined more by being, like, tricksy bastards than just by being strong and honorable and whatever. Definitely. This is is Percy's personality shining through in a way that Mm -hmm. kind of saves this from being an otherwise largely unremarkable fight i think polybity's personality and percy's personality both kind of shine together and that i i guess i wish this had happened like a book from now or something yeah definitely it at least makes this encounter less of a wet fart than alcyonius dying yeah Uh, but it does still kind of blow yeah both of the giants we meet here die they go down pretty easy i guess actually also, we're just not going to talk about how Alcyonius died. Like, because they're talking about the god and demigod thing as if, you know, everyone knows that that's a thing that we do. But nobody mentions that Alcyonius went down without that. I mean, it was the gift of tactics, Jane. I, no, you know what? I'm calling bullshit on this. I know we were talking about, like, degrees of indirectness last week, and I think that was valid up until the way that Percy dispatches this giant is to fucking stove his head in with Terminus. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I amazing, a fucking amazing. Um, God, no, yeah, it's it's very silly. Maybe Mars, like I, 
I'm just gonna say my theory is that Mars did shoot a bullet off screen <laughs> that also hit Alcyonius at the same time, and that's how it happened. Maybe it's like giants can only spec into one kind of conditional immortality. <laughs> it can you can have like either I live within this radius now or this very unlikely combination, and you can only have one. He really should have like looked into better strategies for using his build then. Yeah, yeah, he shouldn't have fucking lived 10 miles away from the border. He should have lived in literally any other place. Oh. Uh, I, I, I'm establishing myself in... He could have... Uh, what if he just said, like, I'm, I, I've been born in North America. Now North America is my... Like, <laughs> that would have been pretty good. I don't, I don't really get how it works. I don't think it does. <laughs> Tyson's having fun too. He's just like bonking people. Yeah, I mean, the, this, this is this is on the level of digging way too much into it. But there is there is something about Tyson, the like ennobled general with a, a human demigod backer, uh, beating up the um, working class cyclopes from Detroit who are disenfranchised and aren't in favor of Poseidon. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, that's amazing. There's, there's, there's something going on there, and I don't know if Rick knows what it is. General, let, let us remi- let us not be, let us not forget, General Tyson. General, General Tyson of Poseidon's army. That's right. Um, it's the civilized something. Cyclops. Christ. I mean, he's <laughs> he's also like, just like, kneeing Earthborn in the balls, dingy style. That's fun. I like that. It is fun. Ella, like, giving him strategy tips the whole time. Yeah. The strategy tip is knee them in the balls, which is also yes, good. it is. That's that's kind of all the fight is. That's kind of all there is to it. Do Earthborn like, have genitalia? Probably not. Why does Maybe. it hurt if you knee them in the balls, then? If they don't have any balls? I guess just... It hurts if you knee anyone in the groin, I guess. I guess. It's, it's a Maybe they keep joke. their brains there. Maybe. the yeah this was the big set piece battle but i just like i don't know like did you get a huge like did you pop when like fucking the amazons showed up or like anything like was were there any other exciting moments to you uh not really because there wasn't there wasn't that moment of tension when the amazons showed up because i figured he could probably have taken a retro twice because she only had to do it twice Uh uh-huh (laughs) <laughs> oh they they call her Ia twice kill now that's which such is, a shit name it really is like come on give her like give her a cooler fucking name if you want her to be a cool character Ia twice kill like come on I... yeah she's she's killed someone twice that's not that impressive fucking leo's killed someone twice <laughs> uh they call him leo twice kill <laughs> that i know that we were never gonna like get anything from that perspective because that's just not where the story is but just like the idea of here having to do that for like a week and maybe like seeing you know how does she rest during the day how does she develop new strategies to keep a a treasurer guessing every night does she have like some hail mary move that she's saving for when she's really desperate and can only move the once and like i don't know do that over the course of a week and that'd be a fun little short story to write it would be. Uh, it was two days. It was two fucking days. She did it once. She, like, got the roll-up twice. 
Like she did like the wrestling match. Like you only have to defeat your opponent twice, you know. Like you, you can you get the belt either way, no matter how you win the match. We and I think the aftermath of a fight re- is really really unearned. This is it's it's been a while since we've gone to this well to make comparisons. This has the exact same energy as uh, everyone eating together in the Great Hall after the Battle of Hogwarts. Derogatory. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. No, it's like um the comparison point I was going to draw was like it almost feels like Valhalla or something. Like all these warriors having a big mm-hmm. feast together after a fight. Um what oh, makes I wish that they all wor- died. Well, yeah, what makes that work, like, that sort of thing work, the after-war feast, is that people are supposed to, like, die. Like, there's supposed to be sad stuff that happens, too. Um, everyone is in... The specific line that happens is said is, everyone was in good spirits and casualties were light. So, okay. I don't think anybody died, is what that's indicating. <laughs> Yeah, like some people got really hurt, is what it sounds like. So, How did some people no got one hurt, die? And like the people who had been dead previously uh, got a free pass from Thanatos to come back to life. Yeah, he specifically says he's going there to reap souls. I guess he just meant like the monsters. Just the but, monsters. So, I guess so much for the. I mean, we know that he has biases or whatever because of he's the conversation with Hazel, but. Mm-hmm him being presented as sort of a dispassionate like he'll take your soul either way it, it really is kind of out the window it, yeah it's it makes that whole the, the action scene that we just spent the past like what 15 minutes complaining about feel like even more of a waste of time yeah if the characters were in so little danger that not even a couple of no-name extras die like in battle of the labyrinth we've gone backwards in narrative stakes as this series has gone on doesn't Clovis die? And they're not. Yeah, doesn't like one of Dionysus's kids die? In, uh, either Castor uh, and/or Pollux. Right, not Clovis. I'm sorry. Yeah, one of them dies. Like we'd seen them. They'd been in a couple of chapters. At, at least hit us with something like that. If you want to bring a giant into it, but kill Dakota. Nobody gives a shit kill, about Dakota. Just kill him. Yeah, kill Gwen again. She already died. <laughs> She'll be like, I already had my life. I don't. At this point, for all that he matters to the story, fucking kill Octavian. I don't know. God, Octavian is such is like a, a walking whirlpool of wasted potential. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. We 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 should keep this. We should keep this in order. But like, oh my mm-hmm. God. Um. Fuck. What was I gonna say? The. But oh wait. Okay. Let me recalibrate. Recalibrate. While you recalibrate, can I can I expand on my comparison to the fucking uh, everyone eating in the Great Hall comparison? Yeah, yeah, do it, yeah. So, like, the specific line that made me think of that is, um, I think it's like, uh, even the fawns were allowed in today since they'd helped with bandaging up the wounded during the battle. Oh my god. Which is like, that's the same energy as like the house elves got the day off. Yeah, it does. We let the massive population of impoverished people we make live outside the city have some food this time. It's they're 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 the baddies. (laughs) Like shit, dude. Maybe maybe Don the Fawn would be asking for change less if he had regular access to a fucking square meal. Yeah, if he had like I don't know, like people like passing out meals or like literally just like a home like maybe a home would be good 
If you could just come to this dining hall where the food is magically generated and free. Uh-huh. Like, if Tyson can order an infinite number of PB&Js, then yeah. surely the the homeless of your, of your, like, nation can be fed. This is, like, okay. I want to clarify about my points about, like, oh, somebody should have died. I don't... I think if Rick Riordan... Rick Riordan is one of those authors similar to like J.K. Rowling or Andrew Hussey, I guess. Um, <laughs> Jesus who, who, Christ, go easy on him. <laughs> no, no, you, you'll understand once I say it. Uh-huh. Who is like regarded as like, oh, always killing off your favorite characters. Mm-hmm. There is none of that here. There is no like, there is no, um, I'm not saying that Rick should have like just killed a character for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a point where the stakes are life and death and it's just not pushed on at all. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And so that's that's what I mean when I say that I think someone should have bit it or like something, somebody should have gotten hurt that we care about, something like that. Yeah, we're not asking for a fucking a song of Game of Thrones here, but just like... the. This this is I know that we have to reset the stakes slightly because this is technically a new series, but um in in Last Olympian Percy accidentally killed one of the other campers. Yeah, and I just feel like we are so far away from that in terms of like just the the dangers that the characters are facing. Like it's trying to be, it's trying to be a reset on the level of like. Oh, we're resetting everything, but also it's still gonna be the same like stakes. Uh like it's still gonna be like the same high level encounters, I guess. Yeah. Um but they're not they're gonna you're gonna win them. Don't worry. You you'll win them. It doesn't like it's not gonna be like a thing. It's you're scripted to win. The characters have leveled up, but they've not gained any new abilities. They've just got more stats to put into their existing ones. So it's just the same things but with bigger numbers. Yeah, basically. And oh my god, <laughs> um, the the part of this in, insane. Um, Percy almost gets roped into like a dom sub relationship with one of the Amazons. Percy canonically not into femdom. It's true. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say about that, but it it sure is a scene that happens. Just like. Just to, to, to like, contextualize this a little, one of the Amazons uh, offers uh, to is is flirting with him and says, "Oh, you'd look pretty good with a, a chain around your neck and an orange jumpsuit." Which I guess means that they aren't slaves; they are literally just their boy, all their boyfriends or whatever. So I guess they all just like Percy, Frank, and Hazel all just like accidentally walked into like a club. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. <laughs> Which, in that case, here, stop involving other people in your kink without their consent, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Oh, I think something from Chapter 51 that I do really like is after this, um, Percy sees the Praetor building. Uh, he, like, he's, you know, he's given the position of Praetor and is, like he sees that it's full of Jason's things and that it is isolated. He would have to live in it alone. Mm-hmm. And instead he goes and joins the fifth cohort in their barracks. 
And I think that is great because it is a very, like, you would, it's not the first thing you would think of probably, but it is a parallel to Camp Half-Blood, the empty yeah, Poseidon yeah. cabin and, like, Hermes' cabin where he lived for a while and found, like, some of his first, like, camaraderie in that way. I, I think that's a really good call just to, like, bring that sort of aspect back to it. Um, and I, I don't know. That's just the bit that I like. Yeah, I think, like, one of the things that we can take away from this book, uh, even though we didn't like it that much in the end, I think one thing that is not wrong with this book is uh, Rick Riordan's ability to write Percy well. Yes. I think he still has it. He does. Percy Jackson, he does not get, like, flanderized or what Mm. have you. He doesn't get shrunken down. He's just still Percy. He's just still well-written Percy. Which is good, because I like Percy. (laughs) Yeah, same. <laughs> With a, a very Percy thing that he does is uh, have a dream about Juno and immediately dump her into the river because there's no actual stakes. Like, there's no yeah. consequences to doing it, so he will do it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not even the vibe I got, because he keeps trying to hit with that fucking river. Yeah. And the the yeah. vibe I almost got was that he is, like, actually trying to do her harm. I, I it, to me it felt like oh I'm in a dream I can just fucking hurt you as much as I want or like try to <laughs> just like throw water at you and you can't do anything to me uh this is what I need I think is this where your um Juno Gaia confusion lies uh yes yes it is because um Juno and Gaia sure seem to be exactly the fucking same a little bit like, the, both of their entire plans revolve around, like, using Percy as a pawn. And specifically relying on, like, his loyalty to his friends. Is like, Because Mars tells Frank, like, oh, um, part of uh, Gaia's plan is going to be to, like, put Percy in a position where he has to make a difficult sacrifice for his friends, and she knows that he can't do it. And Juno is also saying, the way I'm going to keep you on a leash when you're on this team of seven is that I know that you're loyal to your friends, and I can exploit that to keep you loyal. It's the, I, the, it's the same picture. Yeah, you're completely right. I think that's super intentional uh, in a way that I actually like because Juno is just as insidious as Gaia. And I think that's fucking cool. That, like, these two. Uh, the, uh, what's up? I don't know if I trust this to be intentional. I It has to be, right? It has <laughs> to be. Juno is. Like, Juno took eight months of Percy's life away from him. And I like that that is not, like. That isn't shorthanded that is eight months of his life he is a he's a teenager that is like a lot a a lot and he is outraged and i think it comes through that like she is doing bad horrible shit like in this book and the last one to a point that like i think that it has to be intentional like i I think that has to be at least somewhat intentional but it works her plan worked perfectly and that's how she justifies it to percy and I worry that it's going to be like um, uh, at the end justifies the means kind of thing where Juno is just gaslight gatekeep girl bossing uh, and Percy just kind of has to suck it up. The reason... Like if, it, if there was like some element of the plan that went wrong and Percy had to like improvise uh, and get it back on track, then it would show that Juno is like not infallible, that maybe what she did was a mistake and I would kind of buy into that reading more. But I, I am worried by the way it's written currently. The reason I'm feeling a bit better on it is because I know that this is like a five book arc at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next book is Mark of Athena. 
it's 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 gonna have Annabeth doing some shit. And we know that the unresolved plot that we were really excited to see come up in this series is Annabeth's tension with uh with Hera. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is going to deliver on some of what we're talking about now. I hope. I hope so. It's spe- the wording specifically around Annabeth is one other thing that was kind of contributing to my worry. Uh-huh. Where um, uh, I think Juno calls her a troublemaker and Percy is outraged that she would call Annabeth a troublemaker. Whereas I feel like if the direction we were going was maybe fuck Juno... It would be like, yeah, well, you know what? I'm glad that I'm with someone who makes trouble for you because you fucking suck. Maybe, yeah. But that's I, that's. I mean, that's one line of dialogue. It might mean nothing. I mean, it's a good point that you're making, though. I, Mark of Athena, Christ. I, I'm gonna zoom out from this book a little bit to say, uh, Mark of Athena is the longest book in the series. Oh my god! I thought this was. No, uh, and can I tell you something else, Jane? hit me it's tied for longest with the book after it (laughs) like exactly yes exact same number of pages damn that's kind of impressive yeah um do you think he did that on purpose maybe like he was like deliberately like delete because i would do that i feel like if i was like publishing (laughs) novels if i thought i could get them to the same length i would fuck around with it a bit to do that maybe these fucking books upcoming i i did a page count they are um so just just the next one is over twice as long as sea of monsters oh my god but reading mark of athena and house and the house of hades alone will be just a little bit shorter than if we just decided to reread the first four percy jackson books again (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um anything else about like this this chapter that you have to talk about uh, yeah, I just want to rewind uh, to something that's just kind of really weird. Um, in the in the feast, where there is a total fucking non sequitur, kind of dropped into the conversation that feels just like, oh shit, we got to tie up all our loose ends real quick. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, there was like some buzz in the room about Frank's great grandfather being reinstated to the Legion. Turns out oh he hadn't God. caused that earthquake after all. And. <laughs> This is, this sucks. This is such this, a bad, uh huh. This sucks, and it, it would be so easy to turn this into like a less shitty version of this, where it's just like if if this was Frank uses his newfound position of authority to like leverage getting uh, his his great grandfather reinstated, then that would be like that would at least be something that he does with his new newfound power. But that would also involve, like, acknowledging that Camp Jupiter is kind of racist. Yeah. So it just kind of gets hand-waved away at the end of the book. Well, that's the thing, is that... Do we feel like this is sort of implying that the racism is a thing of the past for Camp Jupiter? Because that would be positioned against something that was, like, said earlier, which was that Frank should not tell people. Uh, like, he he should not, like... Mm-hmm. He it's a secret right he keeps it a secret from like everyone except reyna yeah he tells reyna he apologizes to reyna and he he doesn't he's not even told why he does that and so it feels like it almost feels like camp jupiter learns about this accepts it it's like okay we're it's a new era of camp jupiter they wouldn't be racist but 
is not is not the worry that Cam Jupiter would be racist. I don't I don't know. Like it feels a little bit kind of confused. It feels like um, uh, the person of color proved himself to all the white people, so they decided to rectify some racist past wrongs. It kind of does feel like that, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It it kind of is exactly that, huh? Oh Christ! Also, it, it just it, occurred to me that um, uh, for Frank's great grandfather to be descended from Neptune, to be like a son of Neptune, uh, that means that uh, Neptune was fucking his great times whatever granddaughter. Wait, because Frank's also descended from that Argonaut. Wait, what? Wait, okay, the Argonaut was a son of Poseidon, right? Mm-hmm. But the... And and explain the next step? And so we kind of go down, down, down until we get to 1906, where one of Frank's ancestors, because this is someone that he's descended from, uh, has a kid with Poseidon, and that produces his great-grandfather. Is that true? Is he a son of Poseidon? He's not just, like, a descendant of Poseidon? Uh, I... Yeah, I think I think he's a son of Poseidon because it's mentioned that like the last son of Poseidon stayed in um that that shitty camp that that shitty cabin that Percy gets, and that turns out to be Frank's great grandfather because he caused that fucking earthquake. Let I'm I'm looking at Camp Jupiter Wiki, which apparently exists. Uh, just because I I I'm, I want to double check this. Uh, mm-hmm. this this says that he was a legacy of Neptune. So. Oh, I see. I, so oh, it sound, right. So yeah, okay. That's that's that makes more sense. I I think Rick Riordan might have caught that if he this, this <laughs> book is so concerned with Neptune's bloodline that I think he would have caught that. I mean, I I, I can see him leaving it in because he's already built in his justifications. Gods don't have DNA. Doesn't count. You know what? You're right. How, <laughs> however, oh god. Speaking of sons of Poseidon, Arion doesn't fucking die. Arion doesn't die, I guess. He also doesn't appear after the battle. Yeah, Arion, nothing happens with Arion. Which kind of fits with how the rest of our new characters go out. <laughs> <laughs> nothing happens with them. Are, but no, specifically, like, are we just accepting that the... Are we just accepting that the prophecy said a son of Neptune will drown a bunch of ghosts? I guess that actually was the answer. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> this book is throwing pies in the air. And the the amount of narrative money that is being left on the table by this by this book. It's amazing. It's truly just incredible. We, we should we get to the last chapter so we can sort of after that sort of zoom out a bit. Nope. <sighs> okay. So this starts with Mars it doesn't start with this, but it was the first thing I noted. Uh, oh. Mars gives Frank a gift. Uh, he leaves the art of war on his pillow, uh, which, um, and and Percy manages to get one last dig in, which I actually really like. I do uh, like this. Maybe, maybe Mars is different than Ares. I don't think Ares can read. It's very, <laughs> very fucking funny. It's very good. I still don't buy that they are like straight up different people. Like, I, I understand what you mean about them being, like, different aspects, and that means different things to, like, Frank and Clarice. I do not buy for a second that Mars doesn't remember getting his shit kicked in by Percy. It's really funny to think. I just, like, <laughs> that's the funniest possible interpretation, so I will. <laughs> Whenever it's funniest, I will side with you. <laughs> the Sammy Valdez, Sammy Valdez uh, reveal. Oh. Uh, so I knew about this. 
Yes, same. I accidentally spoiled myself on this in advance because I uh, looked at the Wikipedia page for um, uh, uh, Sammy and Hazel School and saw a surname. So I've been waiting on this the entire book. Yeah. Did you remember this happened? I did. I, I did remember this, yeah. Mm-hmm. This, uh... Why do you think this happens? Why do you uh... think this is... Like, why do you think this matters? Because I... I have my theory. I I also have a theory. And I don't like it, and I hope it's not where this goes. Alright, let's say our theories. Count of three. One, two, three... Love, Love triangle. triangle. Fuck. Oh god. Okay. The, the official unwise girls theory is this is gonna be a really <laughs> shitty Leo Frank Hazel love triangle. Oh, uh, I. Because it would be extremely shitty. Because Leo doesn't know Hazel at all. No, I. Well, the most it could be is like Hazel has sort of weird feelings about being around Leo fair and you know uh, i would i would enjoy reading it if it's just that if it's just her grappling with like oh god i am a person out of time that would be fine yes but the worst case scenario that i am dreading existing <laughs> is the love triangle i really desperately hope that that is not what happens on the other hand this is also just kind of cool like i it it does make that like person out of time like horror like more present in a way mm-hmm so in that way, just like, oh yeah, the fucking that like his grandson or whatever, his son or grandson or whatever is just like he's still alive. He's a he's a guy. And oh god, well that means that he's definitely dead. So many things that's like th- there is goodness in this, but I I fear that it may breed terribleness. Yeah, I, I speaking of goodness in this, I definitely sympathize with what you were saying earlier about like reading this and being like Oh, thank God. It's Leo and Piper. Yeah. <laughs> Miss <Yeah>. you guys. <laughs> There's just... there. I They get two lines of interaction, but it's like, it's so good. It's so nice. It makes me smile. It's like Leo trying to think of like, what am I to... Am I like the, the captain, the general? And Piper just pi- chimes in and is like, repair boy. <laughs> it's it's i like it i like it it's good i'm i'm looking forward to spending more time with these characters do you know what character i would like to spend more time with is it octavian it's octavian octavian has his last hurrah in this this chapter (laughs) oh what was us he's he's trying to stoke distrust and Okay, I'll say one good thing about this. We get a pretty good Percy comeback out of it once more. Um, uh, like, like Octavian is just like going on and on, and he does like a rhetorical question, and Percy like chime butts in, like I'm glad you asked. And Octavian is like I wasn't, and Percy completes it with part of the quest. Yes, I know, and you're wise to let me explain since I was. That's great. I like that bit. I also feel like. Um... The way this interaction plays out has the same kind of energy as like, like twenty seventeen era, like John McCain doing a put down on Donald Trump. Oh my vibes. god! <laughs> and oh I can god. see like Rick punching the air or something like that. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're so fucking right, though. Rick, it... Percy is distinguished by his military background. <laughs> Christ. 
<laughs> Octavian, he could have been so good. We could have had a murder, not even a murder mystery, a murder conspiracy story about Octavian, and it would have been good. We could have had an election drama, and that yes. would have been good. Instead, we get a character who's definitely going to come back in, like, two books as a villain for a chapter. Is is basically oh, how I'm feeling. That's yeah. how I feel about him right now. He just... I We keep using this phrase. He... he his final his final move is just a big wet fart. He is so defanged by the end of this that he's he's just like ranting and screaming and strangling his teddy bear. And like this is the same guy who killed Gwen as a political maneuver in the first few chapters. It, it's wild. He he doesn't do anything violent. He doesn't do anything especially crafty either. Uh, uh. It feels like he's done for. It feels like he's lost because Reyna and Percy are co-operators and not going to put up with any of his shit. The only thing to me that could, like, if the Mark of Athena decides to spend time at Camp Jupiter next book, which I, I hope it does. I really it hope. I hope it does. It won't because Percy mentions that they're not going to have time to do the triumph. Oh, God. Oh, you're right. <laughs> they're leaving right away, aren't they? Yup. <laughs> fuck if they could just spend like a week <laughs> there and like octavian Please. could be tr- and like they could be getting integrated and like there could be conflict and we could actually because okay here's my big problem the romans immediately give in to working with the greeks does doesn't it feel just a little bit too quick yeah i because this is this is what we were saying in lost hero as well like this does not feel like a conflict there's distrust, but this doesn't feel like the kind of thing that would boil over into the American Civil War. Yeah, I... However, the the Greeks don't know about the Romans. Mm-hmm. The Romans, not only do they have an idea about the Greeks, but they have, like, a specific image of them as, like, conniving, like, weirdo, like, journeyman, like... They're, like, freaks and fucked up. And then they're just like, okay, well, I guess we can work with the Greek demigods. Yeah, Octavian, like, busts out, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Does he straight up say that? Yes. I fucking hate this book. (laughs) (laughs) The fact is, I can buy Camp Half-Blood not, like... I can buy Camp Half-Blood being pretty ready to, like, team up with them... It's a harder sell that Camp Jupiter will be so easily won over to Camp, me. Camp Half-Blood is a fucking summer camp. The vibes are chill. Yeah. Camp Jupiter is a fucking enclave of the Roman Empire that is run like a military dictatorship because it's a military dictatorship. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. They have, like, two heads of state who are children. Uh, and <laughs> and the gods, of course, who they pay ultimate fealty to. Uh, and if you break their laws, they'll kill you. And this is this is basically how it goes there. But yeah, I this is my ultimate dissatisfaction because now that I know we're not gonna get to spend time, like on one <laughs> hand, I guess that's kind of clever. They just pull up, they all jump onto the boat, leave. Like I guess we don't have to fucking think about Camp Jupiter anymore. But I want to think about Camp Jupiter more. Fuck. I just... I just realized what this should have been. What? And how we could have... 
if Octavian had like hijacked a scorpion or something and shot down the Argo and then it is like it is it has to be pulled in for repairs at Camp Jupiter for like a week before they set off uh-huh and then that means that there is like you know there's time pressure because they need to they need to get going a few days ago but they're still here but that also means that we have like some time to actually have those like frictions and conflicts that you were talking about and it would also mean that Octavian fucking does something that would have been fucking good. He would do something. He'd be like a little shit. Like, oh my god. Can we talk about the Argo 2 a little bit? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sad. You're sad? The, the Argo 2 is important. This is going to be like the, the, I, the only thing I can think of is like the Enterprise. It's going to be like the thing. It's mm-hmm. the Argo <laughs> of this book. Um, and we get like a, a small paragraph when Percy lays eyes on it. And I, that, I hate that. I think we should get like four paragraphs just about how the Argo 2 like is like very lavishly described because it's so important. I don't know. I, Percy, Percy fucking recognizes Festus and doesn't think of Beckendorf. Yeah. Uh. This is a draft. This is a first fucking draft. It really is. This, that's pretty much where it ends too. Like he, mm-hmm. they get. So should we talk about some like whatever bits we want to talk about of this entire book? What did we think of this book? Yeah, I think I think it's time to autopsy this motherfucker. Ah, uh, oof. Oof is right. There are some high highs in here. Yes. The, 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 I think a lot of the positive stuff we said about the early chapters and especially like Percy and Nico stands uh, I liked some of the random encounters they had especially with uh, Phineas yes yes uh, there's some real dog shit in here too though yeah I mean what's Hazel Frank H- Hazel and Frank are completely undercut their character arcs are undercut completely mm-hmm. I I don't like how either of their bits to play in this book resolved. I I think they are both kind of weak and Percy got he didn't Percy didn't have to do as much in this book because he's so established. Um so I just I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Percy's conclusion is also lame. It just hurts less because we've had five good books of Percy already. Four good books of Percy already. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. Like, what's, if we're talking about people's, like, things in this book, what are people's, like, Percy's thing is, like, memory, loyalty, and unity, like, things like that, finding a family. His critical decision at the start of this book is that he could abandon everyone and go and live in the sea and probably survive this crisis, but he won't do that. And that's, that's a good decision for an already established character to make, Mm -hmm. um, like he makes that big decision. It's a turning. It's a turning point to set off the rest of the events, and it's about him sort of building on that decision throughout. I. You're right that his is kind of, his is kind of mad too. Like, ultimately, like we said before, his loyalty and uh, like his loyalty to this group does not feel especially earned. Yeah. The, the... I I don't f- understand why this character is so attached to these people, apart from he says he is. 
he says he is. And we know that Percy is like Percy is a good guy. He will do good things. Yeah, and he and he will like like to that degree. I buy that he would help these people. Like he would want to help these people. He cares about them to that degree. Yeah, but, I can buy him wanting to let muck in and help. But the way that it's described as like the fifth cohort has become a new family. I bought it with Jason. I did not buy it with Percy. Yeah, because Jason had fucking nothing. Like, if even if fucking... If Percy had just, like, not had his memory for most of this book, it would at least have made more sense. But, like, he gets starts getting his shit back way earlier than Jason does. So that sense of, like, isolation and, like, finally ha- having something to cling on during that and forming that attachment because of those things, uh, that that's just not there. He doesn't have to do that because he has Annabeth from chapter... from page one. Yeah. And, like, that's not a bad decision. It's just something you have to work with. And I don't think that it was executed very well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's go to Hazel. Hazel's thing is, is also pretty easy. She's all about, like, the past. There's, like, a lot of horror attached to her. There's attachment. There's death. Like, this is this is basically her thing. Yeah, it's, it's essentially, like, her facing down and overcoming the trauma of her past. And... Like learning to, learning to accept that and sort of move on with her life, or not move mm-hmm. on, but like be able to grow finally, because death is, uh, as they say, death is another word for not changing. She's finally able to change, and that is yeah, it's done decently. It's done decently, but I will. A lot of this book's problems, character-wise, come from like just like the last few chapters. Hmm. Yeah. It, uh... So like some like some of Hazel's flashbacks, especially to Alaska, were some of the best parts of this book. But it whiffs so badly when it comes to Alcyonius. This is would this book have been better if it just like was not from Percy's perspective at all? Like if it was just Frank and Hazel? I don't know because I think that would have served their characters well. But that also means that you you have to get rid of the Percy stuff, which is I think undeniably some of the best stuff in the book. That's really true, yeah. It, because him grappling with all that is it's it's well done. It's well done because it's mm-hmm. it's not a new character. It's an old character who is being put through new situations, and so the work doesn't have to be put in as much. I I think the work is put in with Frank and Hazel, just not as well. It doesn't stick the landing. Yeah. Like the fa- the fact that Hazel does not get to like bear down on this her resolution is that during Frank's chapters, she kills Alcyonius kind of, um, Mars does it. And he shot him from a million miles away. Basically. Like it's kind (laughs) of muddy. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened there. And then she and Frank become dating. That's kind it, it kind of is just that. I don't think they are dating. They're probably not dating. Percy thinks they're dating. Percy thinks they're dating, but we we got to leave room for this fucking love triangle, which I think is why it's left ambiguous. Oh God! <laughs> so what's Frank's thing? Frank is the one who I have the hardest, not the hardest time with, but I feel like he is sort of a more generic concept a little bit. Like his, I feel like he somehow goes through the most growth, but it's also sort of the most basic of it all. Because it is like duty and honor and sacrifice ends up being what his character arc is about. It's a very straightforward like hero's journey of a sort. 
Which like, is strange because like his early chapters seem to be setting up a different arc now that I think about it. Uh-huh. Which is like learning to accept himself and not fit into like what other people think that he should be, like his overbearing grandmother and shit. Like cuz you know he he loves using a bow and that's weird for a roman. And it it felt like the the direction it was going to go was Frank learns that actually fuck them if I want to use a bow I'll use a damn bow. Uh, yeah, if but, I want to use a bow, I can use a bow. If I want to be a girl, I can be a girl. Exactly. It's, yeah, that's where it should have gone. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, it becomes it it becomes too entra- it becomes too entrapped in like just like w- war and everything associated. Which yes, he's a son of Aerie, he's a son of Mars, but it just doesn't feel right for where we start. I guess. I feel like Clarice sometimes had more interesting character stuff going on, and she was also a child of Ares, and her shit was not as tied into just, like, the concept of war TM. No, it's wild, because, like, it almost feels like... Although I don't know how much of that is just our head kind of projecting onto Clarice. No, like, Clarice was the best part of Sea of Monsters, and, mm-hmm. like, certain short stories. True. It almost feels like we almost entirely ditch the self-acceptance for... um an acceptance of one's of one's like an acceptance of one's duty that's like that's what it is yeah it almost rejects that and goes to like putting duty above the self which is like not an an invalid theme i guess like that is like something you can like argue for or like say is like this is a character's thing but it feels one it feels strange in this book that doesn't feel like a rick riordan book theme i guess and Two, it doesn't feel right for Frank. That's that's I guess that's what I have to say. It's published by Hyperion, and like you know, D- Disney Disney collaborates with the Pentagon all the time. Do you do you think there was a spook leaning on the publisher for this book? I mean, maybe just to say to Rick, you know, maybe maybe put put in that Frank's mom was in the army. Maybe maybe make it about duty and honor and loyalty. Just kind of poking <laughs> that plot point in. It also Possibly. might not be that. I just. I mean, possibly. It's it's very possible, but like also maybe Rick Riordan just loves the military. I don't know. It's possible. But again, Ares used to have a bike seat made out of human skin. Yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't in the military then. Mars That's true. Is, Mars is in the military. Ares was a guy who wore fatigues for fun. <laughs> He's stealing valor. He was stealing valor. Oh my god. And Mars is out here fucking giving his son the art of war. That's just, that's such a type of guy present to get someone. It really is. That's like a mall samurai kind of thing. Christ. (laughs) Uh, how do we, how does Camp Jupiter fare to you? Because we were, I think you especially were skeptical on this. You were, you were not having Camp Jupiter at the start. I want to hear how you ultimately land on it. Uh, I think the the thing with the fawns has convinced me that Camp Jupiter is a fucking dystopia. Yes. <laughs> and also the fact that, like, A, I wanted this for, because election drama is fun, uh, but damn, they sure didn't elect Percy. No. I mean, they he did the other the, option. He had the backing of the military and was therefore uh, placed into power. <laughs> yeah, which which is, like, presented as a thing from the beginning, I guess. Uh, but also, like, yeah, that's, that, that is what happens. Hey, none of the adults living in New Rome voted for him. 
Our, oh God. Yeah. I have, I want, I, I do. I just want to know more about new Rome and like all of this. I want to know more about them and I want an entire book set there. Well, maybe that's what, um, the new Percy Jackson book is going to be. It, it might be. Or it'll have a lot there because like the, the college that Percy's applying for is in Camp Jupiter, right? I wasn't sure if you knew that or not, but yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will get our wish in fucking like eight books time. Fucking maybe. Well, no, <laughs> not eight books. That's that's going to be, let's see, five. Okay, so five Trial of Apollo books, three uh, Magnus Chase books, three more, uh, fucking three more of these things, just demigods and magicians. That's at least 12 more books. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, yeah, I liked. I don't know. Reyna doesn't get a whole lot. Like, I wish there was more with her reunion with her sister, but that it kind of gets blown over. Octavian sucks. We talked about him. The fifth cohort, whatever. But Camp Jupiter as a setting, I'm still really into. So I just, I want more of it. This is my thing. I want more of it. Uh huh. I. I- I do kind of want more of it, but it's like the Juno thing. I don't know if I trust Rick to write it properly. <laughs> well, yeah, not properly, but to my taste. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like it might just be a symptom of how rushed these last few chapters felt. But one of my big problems with Kane Chronicles was that it, it felt a lot of the time as if, like, just the narrative path of least resistance was being taken. Yeah. Like, we're making the least interesting choices possible because it's expedient to... to getting the story out by the publishing deadline i guess like especially with like Dejardin, i remember we we complained a lot about how there was so much left on the table with that and there was so much like potential in this book that is completely not capitalized on that i, I can't help coming out of it feeling as if i've read a king chronicles book i i agree um like it's that really is that's a very good way of putting it like the path <laughs> of least resistance it's as we get to the end, things just start to get really easy for everyone, <laughs> which I don't know. I think that's actually not usually how books like this work for a reason, maybe. Uh-huh. The stakes like, escalate, typically. What, one would think. But More actually, people died in a training exercise at the start of the book than in the final battle. That's true. <laughs> that's just true. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the villains the villains didn't get a great showing here either. Polybides was better than Alcyonius, but still not much. Mm-hmm. Guy and Gaia kinda took a backseat in this one as well. Oh. On to the next one, I guess. Or not actually. We're reading a different thing next week, right? Well so I was looking at it and I was like, we could read we could start we could start the Mark of Athena. Mm-hmm. But so fucking long it's so fucking long so i thought uh-huh. let's take it let's take a week off of the main books and let's go over and read the demigod diaries yes this is this is going to be a special little book we're going to read the whole thing one one episode we're going to talk about all the short stories it's going to be a lot like a the demigod files episode where we just kind of go, go kind of casually talk about those yeah and I also, so that's what we'll do next week. I also discovered something else just like that I did not know existed. Oh. Um, did you know about Un Natale Mezzosangue? Nope. 
uh, also known as A Half-Blood Christmas. Um, a short story written by Rick Riordan, produced in the language of Italian, uh, available what? on... Uh, uh, Rick Riordan wrote an Italian language uh, Percy Jackson story. Uh, um, Holy shit. In 2020, it's about it's about Nico and Percy finding a Christmas gift for Annabeth and meeting an Etruscan god, I think. Um, Interesting. This is this is what I what I know, I believe. I I'm trying not to look too much into it. Um but it is a it is a it is a Rick Riordan book that exists or not a book really. I think it's just a short story, but we can that we maybe should talk about some point that is just entirely in Italian. Could do that for a Christmas special or something. Fuck yeah, let's do that. <laughs> also, uh you talking about um demigod files has reminded me just that I made a fucking terrible admin mistake on the Big Red Tequila episode. Oh. Which is that I, I added a little addendum to the top of that uh, episode on our bonus feed, patreon.com slash onwisegirls, um, where I said, oh, this is the first time that we've ever covered a whole book in a single episode. Uh, and I was wrong. We did we did Demigod Files all in one episode. Let's be fair. That's not a real so this book. this is my mea culpa for that. To be fair, that's not a real book. That's a book for, like, little babies and shit. Yeah, and so is Demigod Files. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, do you have any, I guess, do you have any more feel? Was this a good book, Jane? Did you like it? No. <laughs> sad. <laughs> I, I don't know that I liked it either. Uh, it's really sad. It's it, fucking reading that Tumblr post that you made and hearing, like, how enthusiastic baby Jacqueline was about this book. It's just it's it is sad that it wasn't good. I wish it had been. I have such a strong memory of getting this book from the library. No, I got it from a book fair. I got it from like a book fair, and um, going to the local park in my neighborhood. It's it's I was I was sitting on a park bench because I was a little bit too old to go on the swing set now, even though I did <laughs> still love to go on the swing set because you never get tired of being on a swing set. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting on the bench just like in the summer. And just, like, letting the rays, like, just, like, lightly bake me while I was reading this, like, the first few chapters of this book. And I I loved it. And now it's, it's, it's in a different place in my brain now, I guess. And now your recounting of that experience had better, more vivid sensory detail than the final battle scene in this book. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Any final thoughts on the Son of Neptune before we... I, I don't know what we're doing with it. Before we drown it, I guess. like it's supposed to, <laughs> Before we finally drown the Son of Neptune. We're kicking this into the same river of fire that we put the last two Kane Chronicles books into. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, I, th- I think my, my full impressions in their entirety can be found on a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls to see. To see a photograph of me flipping off the book. <laughs> god yeah our intro and outro music is super mario ocean by space pony you can find that at oc remix uh our cover is by vera at insmith underscore in we are hosted by the moonshot network of podcasts they're wonderful twitter.com slash moonshot pods um well lots of good shows there is the one mic stand podcast jam recently me and jane both have shows on it yeah, if you would like to listen to us podcasting with different people for once in our lives, uh, check out uh, what 
Was yours press? Press play to find out. Press play to find out. That was it. And now I'm desperately hoping that you don't remember the name of mine so I don't feel as bad. The Podcast Garage. Fuck. Uh, you can find those over on the po- the podcast minds there before the grace of pod go we uh, uh, feed it's episode 100 they're all episode 100 that's right as well you can go to our twitter twitter.com slash unwise girls if you want to find more of us there we have links to our personal twitters our email our discord server join our discord server and our various things if you want to support us, you can go leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell friends about us, be like, hey, there's this show, and they don't like the books, but also they do like the books. <laughs> um, or you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. There, for just a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, on the uh, last bonus episode, uh, we brought it up a couple of times in this episode, actually. Um, in the course of reading some Homestuck pages, we dived into like the history of Jacqueline's Tumblr blog and found out uh, what 14-year-old Jacqueline's impressions of uh, uh, Son of Neptune were. Yeah, and also, uh, which... <laughs> Which YouTube, which YouTube Let's Players did I like that later turned out to be pretty bad people? Well, if you want to find out, go to that episode. Uh, and for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, as well as all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Man, Venus has not actually shown up in this series. It makes me sad. Yeah, Aphrodite was in book one. Anyway, uh, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. of all time this is champs in the making a pokemon bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the pokemon video game franchise put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is starmie gives me like organic free-range gluten-free like fidget spinner energy swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands <laughs> i don't like weird ears face it's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. <laughs> I think Dido King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.